the Lloyd's List podcast from Lloyd's List Intelligence, delivering you expert analysis on the stories shaping shipping. To find out more about our actionable maritime insight, data, and analytics, visit lloydslistintelligence.com. It seems we find ourselves in an era of cascading crises. The de-risk, decoupled, low-growth, fractious trading environment we find ourselves navigating today is laden with uncertainty. China's growth engine is sputtering. The consequences of sanctions and regional bloc economics are creating a bipolar political and trading environment, and inflation starting to bite. Oh, and there's the existing twin-track revolution of decarbonisation and digitalization to deal with. Yes, for those of you returning to the Lloyd's List podcast after our short summer hiatus, don't worry, we haven't run out of topics to talk about. This week, the great and the good of the shipping industry are descending upon Lloyd's List doorstep for London International Shipping Week, and not wishing to disappoint our guests, we are going to be running a series of daily podcasts during the discussions. And I'm going to start today with a whistle-stop tour of the issues that are keeping industry executives awake at night. Inevitably, decarbonisation dominates these conversations, and for good reason. But I think it's worth considering the importance of these conversations before we get into the nitty-gritty of any of that. Because the industry has had the summer to consider the decisions at the International Maritime Organisation, where most listeners will be aware that net-zero aspirations were set for 2050, alongside expectations to reduce emissions by 2030 and 2040. Now, the big question, of course, is whether these agreements, which were significantly above where most people were expecting, were going to be enough of a demand signal to catalyse green fuel supply projects and get investment moving. And I mentioned this at the outset because London Shipping Week is going to be the first major get-together that the industry has had since those agreements were made. And this is the opportunity they have to discuss what they've been mulling on the beaches over the summer. And I'm not being glib here. This is an important part of the process, I think. Because the first thing you have to do is decode what the IMO is actually saying and what, fight your way through all the a million different interpretations and go, well, which one of these is actually is actually pertinent. And then you have to spend some time internally discussing it and feeling out what your stakeholders and relationships are thinking. Um, and that, that process is quite slow. I mean, shipping loves to go to 10 conferences and hear 10 different opinions and then kind of sit around a board table and make a judgment as to which direction it's going to go. That's how it makes decisions. And so you need those 10 conferences and you need the GMF summit and you need COP and you need you need these things to have passed. And then and then we'll see whether or not the sector is starting to figure out what it's going to do. That was Tristan Smith from the environmental consultancy UMass at University College London. And you'll be hearing some more from him later in the week when we dive a little bit deeper into the decarbonisation dilemmas facing the industry. But I thought it was an interesting point to consider before we get going, because when we're having these discussions this week, these conversations, even these podcasts, they are an important part of how we create that narrative, both internally and how we present to governors and fuel suppliers and all of the stakeholders involved in these discussions. Of course, when I ask any industry leader what the key issues are keeping them awake at night, it is decarbonisation, such as the all-pervading nature of the project. It affects every aspect of the industry, and so much of it is outside of the control of those who control the ships. But I wonder if we're not in danger of allowing the debate to dominate at the expense of other issues, other important issues, that are on the agenda. And that was a question I put to BIMCO's president, Nicolas Schuess, 
very good point, Richard. I, I totally agree that the decarbonization is dominating uh, uh, many discussions. Um, before we jump to what else could be there, uh, let me simply or, or briefly say uh, the two possible steps that we could take today in order to accelerate decarbonization. The one is um, bills of lading, uh, which are still printed 45 million per year. Um, according to McKinsey, simply the use of bills of lading in paper, the transport of it, the uh, delay of it, the necessity to issue LOIs, etc., etc., costs us in the region of uh, 30 billion dollars a year. Um, now that by digitalization, which is technically not an issue at all, um, would be a big step. Uh, and I'm not talking about the trees you save by not chopping off the trees. I'm talking about the efficiency increase. Um, and the other uh, a, a point which uh, I was asked to mention in this, in this uh, podcast is that uh, we need the Blue Wispy Uh, uh, initiative to gain pace, uh, which is uh, to, to standardize the announcements that you need in order to uh, get your, 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 your time of port call allocated and then not follow the policy of sailing fast and then wait, but rather already at high sea decide what your ideal speed is to, to, to arrive in time. Um, I just wanted to mention these two points because I believe they are important and it's important for BIMCO to do what is doable and not to only dream about uh, the future. Well, no, but I mean, it is a valid point and I think it's, I, I would like to pick up on the Blue Visu one because I think it's one of those ideas, I guess, that has been uh, you know, floating around the industry for as long as I've been reporting on it. And yet we've seen very little uh, progress towards it simply because it is a complex Uh, set of problems to solve and it also requires us to have a more holistic conversation about the nature of shipping and its position within a globalized integrated supply chain it's again it's the right conversations with the right people do, do you think that the, the time has come for those conversations to be uh, happening you know is it I guess one of the, the side effects of the, the globalization uh, decarbonization debate is that we're actually having different conversations with different people. We're no longer just talking to the transport departments within governments. We're talking to energy departments, ports, uh, treasury, because you know all of those mechanical bits of uh, government are required in order to make these changes. It's not simply a shipping problem. That is uh, very true. The same goes for the single uh, point of entry and call Uh, port calls. Um, collaboration is the uh, buzzword. And, and, and of course, we have to integrate more and more people. I think shipping got a better reputation, got a bit more attention by outsiders during Corona because it became a household name, logistics and, and, and the necessity of, 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 of transporting goods all over the world and seamen, etc. So, The time is a bit better for wider discussions with, with more players involved. Yes. Okay. I go back to the, um, you know, the, the mental checklist, I guess, you have of, of, of other issues that you want to be focused on. What, what would you say are the sort of the, the priorities outside of decarbonization that we need to be paying a little bit more attention to? As, as you know, I'm not a politician and uh, I, I will not go into. Uh, 
what implications does uh, uh, um, um, onshoring activities in different areas of the world uh, uh, may have. Uh, I, I can only say something to shipping. The, the competition of transport by sea is not by air or by train or by land. The competition of transport by sea is no transport by sea. And uh, there, of course, we do have room for sleepless nights, um, to use your, 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 your phrase. Um, because if you look at the big uh, areas, uh, US, China, and, 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 and Europe, and to some extent, of course, large uh, GDP countries like Brazil, um, and certain areas of Africa, they have their uh, uh, own agendas. And that could be an area for sleepless nights for shipping people. Um, but the political implications of that, I would like to avoid because I'm not uh, uh, the right person to ask. Okay. I mean, you mentioned collaboration, obviously it is a buzzword, but there is a, a tangible reality to it. Talk to me a little bit about what it means to you and what you think we need to do better. Yes, that's that's uh, what I mentioned before a little bit, that uh, we don't have to think in opponents. We have to think in uh, people with possibly different interests, with different obligations, uh, but with the same long-term term aim, which is uh, making this place uh, a more sustainable place than it is at the moment. Um, and one thing that I find important is collaboration, not only between the interests at different uh, stakeholders, but also between generations. Um, because I feel that within the shipping industry, uh, sometimes the elder generation, with all their wisdom, with all their knowledge and, and, and life experience, are a little bit hesitant towards change. Uh, whilst the young ones uh, coming from university believe to have totally understood what the whole world is about and are very eager to push their opinion through. And maybe there, uh, in the discussion between the generations, we could have uh, the same level of understanding and respect for different opinions uh, that we have among the stakeholders. At this point in the podcast, I am going to pause briefly for a word from our sponsors. Maritime decarbonisation targets are becoming more ambitious, and the journey ahead is both complex and full of uncertainties. DMV's latest Maritime Forecast to 2050 report investigates all decarbonisation options to help shipping plot the right course. This is the decisive decade for shipping. Actions taken now will shape our future for generations. Download the report at dnv.com and join us on this journey. A big thank you to DNV for your support, which is very much appreciated. Now, getting back to the dominant theme of decarbonisation, the agenda right now is not one of technical debates. That's happening. Orders are being placed. Ammonia engines are going to land from about 2026. What's going to lead the agenda this week is that political conversation and the questions of whether all of those stakeholders that Nicholas has just mentioned are feeling confident enough to move. And I would suggest that you shouldn't underestimate the importance of how people are feeling and the impact of rhetoric. As we said at the outset, a lot of this is about how we create a narrative. 
in some respects, the industry response since MEPC 80 and the outcome there has been, well, frankly, pretty depressing from a lot of organisations who told me that they wanted a strong signal. There now seems to be a resounding complicity to write up the IMO outcome as a weak signal that legitimises business as usual. Now, I think that is a somewhat disingenuous interpretation of what most people accept was above and beyond what we expected to come out of the IMO. So these conversations, they're important. Happily, I think the more optimistic wing of the debate is going to win this round. Over to Guy Platten, Secretary General of the International Chamber of Shipping. On the decarbonisation side of it, I think we've got to change the narrative a little bit. Because I think technology-wise, the shipping industry is getting there. You know, that's that's done with its ammonia-powered ships and methanol-powered ships. You can see that technology is there. We can see ships being ordered. That's great. What we're not focusing on, in my view, is actually shipping is just a minor part player in this, all of this. Actually, when you look at Germany, for example, when you've got – they've already openly admitted it that only one-third of their domestic clean fuels will be supplied through Germany itself. Two-thirds will be imported. That's one country. So you've got all these other things. And the only, and, you know, and we know the vast, vast majority of that will be transported by ship. So that to me is, is, is the opportunity for shipping that we, we've got to cut through to governments on that one. I think we get it as an industry ourselves a bit. And I think, you know, I was really heartened to see uh, the report, these orders of these very large ammonia carri- carriers coming through you think oh bloody hell that's you know 2026 27 and i think it's trying to get that message across is that shipping is going to be the enabler for the decarbonization therefore engage with us as an industry and we can make it happen and it's you know we we've got this thing this clean energy marine hubs the whole purpose is to try and engage with governments beyond transport ministries at the energy ministry level to say okay it's great you've got these export plans it's great you're doing it what are you doing about port infrastructure and what are you doing about zoning land for the, 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 these plants and about the, the, the facilities? How can we work together so that we as an industry can make the uh, de-risk the investment so we can order the ships? You can zone the ports to, to, to get this done and we can actually start talking seriously now about how we're going to export or how you are going to export these clean fuels, ammonia or hydrogen-based fuels to from the places where they produce to the markets where they're needed. And that's, I think, it goes beyond these green corridors because that's just talking about shipping. It's actually talking about we, we need to change. And I, and I was speaking to someone today. It's a little bit like we didn't, the, the guy who invented containers didn't just do it because he thought, oh, well, we'll advance shipping. He did it because he could see an, an edge about this is the way forward. Now that containers are, are everything. It's going to, you know, shipping, the investment, I believe, will truly come once people see the opportunity. And I think then we'd have the offtake. But you've got shipping ship owners saying, well, what do we build now? Because is the supply going to be there in three, four, five years' time? And we, we're, in terms of the global energy sort of um, uh, sort of use, we're, we're only 5%. So it's that 95%, you know, what, you know, and, and I think that's where we need to engage now to see, to get through to governments to say, actually, shipping, A, technology-wise, we can decarbonise. There's no doubt about that, you know, in time. We need the fuels. But actually, more important than that, we need to be able to transport the fuels. So we need those signals from you that you're building on these plants so we can order the ships. It's going to transport those fuels, which you are committed to exporting, to the places where they're needed. 
Being London International Shipping Week, I could not bring you a domestic view on all this, so I asked UK Chamber of Shipping Chief Executive Sarah Trester to run you through her mental checklist of what's keeping her awake at night. Sure. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot on people's minds right now. Um, we're living through, I guess, unprecedented pace and degree of change in an industry that's used to being predicated on very long-term planning horizons. So clearly, number one on people's list is is decarbonisation. Um, I have to say up front, I think the industry as a whole is feeling pretty confident and pretty positive about our ability to, to meet those uh, net zero targets. It ain't going to be pretty. Uh, there's quite a lot of nuances in terms of different sectors, different timelines, um, and different kind of jurisdictions coming up with uh, their own answer pending uh, a coherent framework from, from the IMO, which short term, I guess, just leads to a little bit more uncertainty, ambiguity. Um, but those considerations on new builds, what fuel do I go for? Fear of stranded assets, I guess, uh, and some kind of bigger concerns over the availability, the pricing uh, and the safety of the new fuels is very likely to be kind of uppermost in people's mind. But as I said, I think my sense now is we're at the sharp end of how do I do it and how fast rather than why should I uh, and, you know, talk to me about the theory. So that's that's going to be high on the agenda Hopefully also the immediate challenge of how do we kind of leverage some of the some of the the marginal gains, some of the opportunities right now. Uh, This is, yes, a long term conversation, but it's just as much about vessel optimization, about being smarter with greener fuels and better ways of working that aren't necessarily best or 100 percent green. But they're every little counts. Uh, And I think speaking to members, a lot of ship owners are already trying to kind of get that get that working so lots of focus on decarbonization um you mentioned it at the beginning a lot of focus on security uh, the ongoing situation in russia and ukraine i think is putting pressure on uh, crew availability uh, for a lot of uh, a lot of our members uh, and consequently kind of knock-on effects there uh, talking to one member a couple of weeks ago they are increasingly concerned about piracy uh, the possibility of vessels being detained or even hijacked uh, seems to be growing uh, and clearly the the risk of cyber attack as well as as physical attack is ever present so that sort of bundle of of security concerns and some of the concomitant you know uh, sanctions and reroutings and things that have to go around it uh, it's a very volatile picture right now there's a lot of turmoil isn't there With all apologies there, Sarah, I am going to try and squeeze in some thoughts on UK-specific issues later in the week. Suffice to say, I'm not overly optimistic about the prospects of any earth-shattering moves from the UK government this week. Ministers will be out in force, no doubt, and feel free to say hello to them. They're all very lovely. But their hands will be full of champagne flutes and empty of any significant policies, as far as I can tell. Anyway, I digress. Before we end for today, I just wanted to squeeze in a few final words from podcast regular Michael Parker, chairman of Transportation at City, but also chair of the sustainable finance programme, The Poseidon Principles. I think the, the, the big issue is obviously decarbonisation, and it will always be the big issue until such time as um, there's clarity um, around the alternative fuels and technologies, and they start to be physically delivered and 
final investment decisions are made, particularly around fuel production. So it's not going to go away, but I think there'll be <clears throat> more clarity about some of that, um, you know, increasingly month by month. And some of that will be informed by the what the IMO does in its intercessional working groups, in its MEPCs over the next few years. And, 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 and really, so we're on a pathway after MEPC 82, 2028, where logically, um, logically in 2028, I'm sure there'll be lots of people campaigning for this, the IMO should move to Paris, alignment with Paris in 2028, when it next looks at its ambition. So all of that's going to go on because it has huge um, impact on investment, it's huge impact on scope three emissions for cargo owners. And, and so what I sort of expect people to begin to see more is the cargo owners, particularly in the container sector, push this agenda more and more. And I think that will clearly have some influence over um, the, pay, the pace of the ordering of new ships once, once the technology is available. So we'll put it on one side because, you know, this is the topic of essentially replacing the world's fleet in the space of 25, 30 years or whatever it is with, a, with, with new technologies compared to fossil fuels. Um, I think other issues, clearly the situation in Ukraine, it's an issue, the whole issue of sanctions, the way that the shipping industry and uh, marine insurance has been used by um, Western governments to execute a political policy, uh, but has questions clearly whether having used that um, policy, whether the enforcement has been a real enforcement um, and how much, if you like, the G7 nations know where sanctions have actually been breached and they're doing nothing about it. And, and, and I think that is, um, it's a problem that shipping has as a, as, as a important industry for moving things in the global economy. Um, and, and I think it is an issue that those ship owners in those trades that are directly affected by this, um, you know, the uncertainty, continuing uncertainty isn't particularly helpful, but the reality is there is a, a war going on in, in Europe and that's what needs to be brought to an end as soon as possible. Um, and hopefully in, in a way that is um, peaceful rather than violent. So I think that issue, and because it affects not just ship owners in those trades, it affects banks, it affects insurers, it affects the system that is having to, in effect, carry out that policy and being being monitored um, by by the authorities in, in doing so. So I think that's a, an important issue for those people affected by that trade. Um, I think another topic which we will probably hear more and more of, although a lot of people will say it's a boring topic, and that's AI. And I know it's something that the Prime Minister is particularly focused on in the context of the UK becoming a centre for sort of regulation and stuff. I think it's one of these things that will creep up faster and faster on those areas of business which lend themselves to much faster, much more predictable management where you can remove paper from the system, where you can you can process things much more quickly. And I think shipping is 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 it's not so much shipping directly other than possibly the trade side of shipping, but, but it but it's a lot of the other things that go around shipping to do with financial institutions, insurance companies, law firms. There's a lot of stuff where you can see AI beginning to have a quite a big impact on productivity in, in certain areas. 
And so I think it's important shipping doesn't ignore that because it's, it's it, it, sh it shouldn't think it's <clears throat> high tech. It's it's actually a way of being more efficient. In clearly there are there are, there are issues around uh, malware, fraud, and all those sort of things, uh, which we've obviously had with the internet and with cyber security. So it's not riskless, um, and how companies manage that. But I think it is going to offer big opportunities to both. Um, improving the productivity within supply chains. And then there's undoubtedly a physical side to it. Uh, maybe where technology already exists today to schedule port calls in a more efficient way that you can cut emissions. But I think one of the benefits of shipping having real emissions, and that's really what obviously we use for the Poseidon principles, is that the more and more data we have on emissions, particularly now the IMO is going to regulate on a well-to-weight GHG basis, um, that should actually help everyone. AI will help everyone uh, in a way that that information will become much quicker physically. We know there's technology there that can, in effect, live stream those sort of emissions. So I, I think let's let's just consider something like AI being not a threat, but actually improving the efficiency of shipping and helping continue the progress around transparency and shipping. And there we are going to leave it, for today at least. An entirely unobjective and unrepresentative basket of views on a small selection of the issues that are going to be keeping us engaged throughout this week. But I think a good starting point for some conversations. We're going to be back again tomorrow from around the various debates, and I hope to see as many of you listeners as I can while I'm uh, cycling around the place. Please do come and say hello if you see me. I'm the um, slightly confused man with a beard and a fold-up bike, probably running late. My thanks to all the guests from today, and to those you are yet to hear from but will do over the next few days. Also, my thanks to DNV for sponsoring today's edition. Until tomorrow, goodbye. <laughs>